Okay, so we do have a few text messages that have come through. A couple of controversial ones here. Oh, I like it. Let's see what we've got. The Great Reformation of Pope Francis. The original Protestant Reformation split the Catholic Church in two. That Reformation is now dead. This Catholic Reformation, as prophecy tells us, will fully take over the rest of the Protestant churches. I'm going to, I'm going to stop there for a moment and, and just draw a comparison if you, between the two Great Reformations. The Great Reformation of the 16th century was over salvation by grace and the primacy of Scripture. Mm. This one is over sexuality and women's ordination. Yes. There's a big difference. There's just a massive <laughs> yeah. difference. Sorry, there is just a massive difference. But anyway, be, be that as it may, um, it's like, are we gonna, really going to call this a Great Reformation? Not in the same, no. And what, like, no, one was like doesn't... standing up to overarching persecution, and the other one is like ideology and gender politics. And... Yep, all that. Anyway, women, or, women ordination is not biblical. Many Protestant churches are already doing it. Shame on them. The Catholic Church never changes so i don't think it will happen i i you know i look at it as well i'm thinking francis you're really going to go down this path seriously dude imagine and and you're going to go down this path before you're going to deal with celibacy yeah wow yeah you know if if you're going to if you're going to tackle something big then at least do something that's got a biblical mandate behind it maybe if women become priests then they marry other priests yeah. Which could potentially solve the problem of... We have two years to wait. Celibacy? We'll see. We have two years to wait. Mm. Uh, I think the Great Catholic Reformation will finalise the reform to, to the world of the world to Catholic theology. Okay, pedophiles seem to run the world. It's better for them to have a millstone placed around their neck and thrown into the deep sea than one <laughs> child made to suffer. Well, the Bible does say <laughs> that. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. <laughs> Jesus did say that. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> And some people say that Jesus never said any hard things. Well, it's a pretty full yeah. thing to say. But I don't know that there's going to be too many people out there who are going to complain about pedophiles, about Jesus saying that about pedophiles. Yeah, that's right. I just, I just don't think there's come, don't think I'm going to get suddenly flooded with phone calls like saying, <gasps> he overreached. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No, there's no one, there's no, no one out there, you know, throwing up any hashtags like protect the pedophiles. No, like, a whole no. lot of sympathy right here. No. Okay, a friend of mine went shopping yesterday. He wasn't allowed to enter Big W and other stores. Interesting, he could enter Coles and other food stores, but not other retail stores. Using plain common sense, are they saying that the COVID virus stops at the entry of the shops that you that don't let you in? The virus, like the flu, it's in the air, so unless you stop breathing, good luck with that. Yeah, I think the idea behind this is not to stop the virus. They're not mm-hmm. trying to stop the virus. They're just trying to slow it enough so that they can keep the ICU boards open. That's all. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, they're trying to obviously they know like that COVID doesn't stop, you know, at the door of Big W or whatever. But at the same time, it's like if you limit the places that unvaccinated people go, then there's the less potential. They're going to spend less time on the road. They're going to spend less time at fuel stations. They're going to spend less time in the shopping center. Yeah, you know, you're going to limit the potential. For them to get They're not trying to stop it. They're just trying to lessen it. Mm. Uh, Anyway, Um, they're trying to get votes is what they're trying to get. That's by cynicism. Many people will feel terribly unwanted, unloved, hated, stressed, feel like secondhand citizens. No pressure. Don't feel like anyone is forcing you to get vaccinated. This is a, this is, and, and I just want to reach out to everybody today in a very special way because I think yesterday the reality sort of started to hit home for a lot of uh, unvaccinated or half vaccinated people 
that everyone was free except for them. Mm. And, you know, they've been dealing with a couple of months of, you know, emotional stress because of the lockdown. Mm. And I think that uh, yesterday and today, as that starts to hit home, you know, particularly we need to be there for each other. We need to be reaching out. We need to be supporting people. We need to be making phone calls. And we need to be letting people know that we love them. Um, And if if you're in a position to be able to do so, you need to be able to... um, you need to be able to uh, go and, um, you know, visit people and so forth. Mm. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, let's let's all do that. All right, next one here. Governments have gone too far to turn back, but the truth will come out. God himself said all that is done in darkness will be revealed in full daylight. I hate to see what will happen to them when the people find the truth out. Okay, oh, Facebook, new mantra, less politics, more social chats, sounds good, it's really about, it's really about keep them ignorant. This is an interesting one. You know, it's kind of like Facebook actually can't do anything right, and I think they probably can't do anything right. They should just close. No, you know what, like, <laughs> hey, okay, I'll say this, I'll say, actually, the, what Facebook says, like, Having said I, that, having said that. Yeah. I joined Facebook. Because it was social media. Yeah. In the last, what, five, ten years, it's become political media. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's just a platform for people. It's, it's, just like, a, it's a wheelbarrow. That, that's exactly what it is. And it's like, it's a wheelbarrow. That, yeah. And everyone, you know, shows up with their wheelbarrow and drives it around and tries to show off their stuff in the wheelbarrow. And it's like, dude, like, they're, they're you know, pushing their wheelbarrow around. But, like, Oh man, I long for a time, like, remembering back to, like, the, the, ve- like, for me, I was super, like, I was born in 98, so I was, like, 12 in yes. 2010. Like, the very late 2000s, the very early 2010s where social media was just that, you know, you'd jump on, like, like I I, I kind of, I remember joining MSN when I was, like, 11 because my sisters had it, like, and chatting with my friends from, like, year six. And it was, like, just that kind of thing where it was, like, social media was actually just just having fun and sending pictures to my friends of, Dumb things like yep. It was it was it was fun. Like it was oh, much better. It was infinitely better. It was like it was actually fun. Yes. Like and I like there's so many young people who don't use Facebook now because it is just like this is just a platform for, for businesses. It's, it's it's its own like economy. Like the only time I ever put post on there is when I'm posting about an issue. Yeah, that's I right. I never post about my personal life. Yeah. Ever. Well, that's also because like now, like I, I probably for you as well, like you have thousands of friends, right? Yes. And it's like, oh, do I want to broadcast my life to all these thousands of people, like everything I'm doing? Whereas I don't know. I don't care. They can they can know as much about my personal <laughs> life as they want, but I'm not going to. I don't have the motivation to go. Post but that, that, because- that's the thing. It's not that your private life is particular. Personal life is particularly private or censored or sen- like sensitive. I'm like, well, Shell and I are the least private people. Yeah, on the planet. Do you want to know anything about <laughs> us? Just you know. Oh, totally. Like <laughs> same. Like it's you know when people talk about like oh I'm not on Facebook because they're going to hack me and they're going to know what I'm doing. I'm like oh what they're going to see me playing guitar or. Reading my Bible, or yeah, that's right. <laughs> working Absolutely. on my motorbike, like whoa, my big secrets. But ultimately, yeah, I just you know I remember just back in the day where you had like yeah ten friends on MSN and you'd send each other messages and talk about stuff, and it's just just like yeah, just this this form of social media that was so innocent and so devoid of politics and okay platforms. Anyways. We're going to a Bible study. Guess where we are going today? 
We are going to the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, let's go. (laughs) We've been hanging out for it. Okay, we're going to look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 5. Oh, so we went from Deuteronomy 1 to Deuteronomy 9. Yeah, we kind of skipped a lot of, um, I don't know what happened there, but we're in Deuteronomy 9 now. So, guys, you've got a lot of homework to do. Maybe the Bible study is going to go back and cover those missing chapters. I suspect not because we've only got 13 weeks and we've got a lot of chapters to get through in 13 weeks. Uh, but we're going to read here verse 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 5, the Bible says, It is not because you are so good or in, uh, have such integrity that you are about to occupy the land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So that's an interesting verse. Yes. God comes to his people <laughs> through Moses and said, you know, God's gonna, going to uh, drive these people out of this land and give it to you. Yep. Not because you're good. And then he insults them. <laughs> Absolutely. It's got nothing to do with you. There's nothing to do with how good you are. You're not good. Mm. It's only because they're evil. Yeah, wow. Ouch. Uh, okay, so the question is, um, is the reality of the covenantal promise made manifest in this verse? I read that straight out of the Bible study. Um, I Yes, I would completely oh, agree. Oh, okay. Yes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the reality of the covenantal promise, like when we go back to Abraham, right? Yes. Is that? You, you know, you'd be blessed with land and descendants. That's right. Like, that is the, the essence of the covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, and through you, like, the whole world will be blessed, which is a prophecy about, you know, Christ coming, essentially. Yes. And dying for the world. Nowhere in the covenant, like, that he makes to Abraham specifically, and that's the covenant that he's referencing here, nowhere in that covenant is like, and you will be awesome. Like, he says, like, oh, yeah, you'll become like a, you know, you, you'll be, have many descendants, like you will, you know, be as the the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. Like you'll have a ton of people, and you'll become a a great nation in the sense of size. Mm-hmm. But nowhere mm-hmm. does God say like, "Oh yes," and you will be the moral pinnacle of the world. You'll like literally be the best, better than anyone else because you are so awesome and incredible and amazing. Like nowhere does the Bible say that. Like, to, to, like specifically, God to Abraham. Right. This is this is interesting. Okay, let me take that because this this is a, this is a thought that I haven't really sort of thought. I really like this thought. Mm-hmm. I, I like it a lot. <laughs> okay, I'm going to challenge it. Okay. So, does that mean that God's covenant then is unconditional and it always stays with the descendants of Abraham? Regardless of their morality. Ooh. Well, because we ultimately, we we know the result of what happened to Israel. Yes. Like the, 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 the gospel went out of Israel and to the whole world. Like, you know, there was no longer, and, and the New Testament is very clear, not that Israel is condemned, but that, you know, they are no longer um, considered to be the, the hub of God's people. You don't need to become a Jew to to follow Jesus. Like, you know, 
it's it's gone to the whole world. And, so, and, okay, so you got they also hear the covenant is uh, somebody texting through to say the covenant is based on obedience. Mm-hmm. So what we've got to do then is what we've got to do is we've got to come up with a balance between these two things. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, are God's blessings based on DNA or morality? Do people receive the blessings of God because of DNA or morality? And if we look at this passage right here, you could ask that it's based on. You could argue that it's based on DNA because God says it's got nothing to do with morality. Mm. But it's about you... it's all about the immorality of the people that you're driving out. Mm. And there are many people today who say that God's blessings has nothing to do with morality. You can live as immoral life as you want, as say, for instance, a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. And you are still under the blessings of God because of the DNA that you carry. Yeah, or like you know, on on the Christian end, to like the fact that God has foreordained or forepicked you, or you are predestined to be saved. So yeah. Any- so once again, once again, there's nothing. To, it's got nothing to do with obedience. It's got nothing to do with the morality. Mm. It's just you could argue that from this verse. So we're going to find some balance here. So let's 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 dig into it and let's find some balance. Um, and, and and let's look at it from this perspective or the perspective that we've been looking at it all along, and that is this. We are not made righteous mm. by our obedience. That's right. Our obedience is evidence of our righteousness. Mm. And so when God comes to them and says, it's not because of your righteousness Oof. that I'm driving these people out, okay, it's not your righteousness. This is the key That's thought really right here. Point. Is not your righteousness. You don't have any righteousness. Your righteousness, righteousness is like filthy rags. I'm going I'm to challenge that point, Lyle, but you can keep going. Okay. Just in the sense that, because he doesn't say, it's not because of your righteousness. He doesn't say, because your righteousness is terrible. That, that's let, me, let me keep reading. It's yeah, not yeah, because yeah, of your yeah, righteousness you or the uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations. Yes. Okay, so there's a difference between the two. Because if it says it's not, you, it's not about your righteousness or your uprightness, mm-hmm. okay, it's about their wickedness. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is not an insult. Because maybe, yeah, what, maybe what God is not saying here, maybe God is not saying that you're wicked. That, or that they're wicked. That's that. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. God's not saying that they're wicked. He's just saying that it's got nothing to do with your righteousness. That's right. Because any righteousness that you have is not yours. It's that's, mine. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going, we're, we're starting to find some balance here. Then aren't yeah, we? yeah. Uh, don't you love the Bible? It's just sort of you, you look at this and you think, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Maybe the covenant is unconditional. Maybe, maybe you know. Israelite people, Jewish people, etc., are under the blessing of God simply because of the DNA that they mm. carry, rather than uh, the morality that they are you know, in their lives. Mm. And no, the Bible says it's not about your righteousness. It's not saying they are unrighteous. That's right. They are righteous. Why are they righteous? Because they're covered by the blood of the Lamb. And it's the gears really started turning in my head. And I was like, okay, do we see another group of people where, you know, they're God's people. They're a group of God's people versus, you know, in, in the context where there are a lot of people who aren't God's people. Um, and does the Bible describe them as righteous and as obedient? And my mind immediately goes to Revelation chapter 14, the first five verses. We've got, you know, this group of people who are following God. And the Bible says that there's no deceit found in them. 
that they were like you know pure of heart that they're like virgins before the throne which is a reference to like they weren't they 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 had a full grasp and understanding of like the truth that God had revealed to them um they were like these people are, are pure followers of God like so I'm like oh clearly like it doesn't say that these people are like terrible people but God just like picked them because he could no it's like that these people are, are morally upright like they are, they are righteous people but again, as we're, as we're kind of identifying here with Israel and as we're identifying with these people in the end, like any righteous person is righteous because of a faith in God. Of the power of God working out within them. Yes, that's right. All right, so uh, chapter 9, verse 27. Okay, chapter 9 and verse 27. We're going to skip down the road a little bit here. And it says, please overlook the stubbornness and the awful sin of these people and remember instead your servants Abraham Isaac and Jacob okay so um, he prays <laughs> for forgiveness of these people okay so there's, yeah. some, there's some there's some sin here they, mm. they need to they need mm. to experience some grace in their lives they need to experience the grace of forgiveness and they need to experience the grace of victory over their temptations yes uh, but why does God say what sorry why does Moses say please forgive their sin and remember Abraham Isaac and Jacob it's an interesting thought, hey, because you could really interpret like you could interpret that as like, oh, don't remember our sins. Just think about that one guy who was like a massive coward, and that other guy who played <laughs> favorites amongst his children, and that other guy who was just so you know caught up in love and emotion that he worked fourteen years for a wife and then played favorites with, and then had two wives and played favorites with his children, and like four wives, four wives. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right, dude. J- <laughs> Oh, yikes. But, yeah, ultimately, like, we, you know, we can really have... It's it's interesting that Moses would point to other people to say, oh, remember them by when we have accounts of those people as being not, like, incredibly amazingly righteous people. There's two ways you can look at this verse. One of them Mm. is, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember what you promised to them. Mm. Don't forget your promise to them. That's right. Well, if God had made of Moses a great nation, as he threatened to do at one particular point, yeah. he's still remembering his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but there's the other aspect, as you say, of remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember how you forgave them. If you can forgive them, yeah, you know, because they were just like unbelievable sinners. I mean, Jacob was just incredibly deceptive. Mm. He stole, he lied, he cheated. Abraham was the same, you know. He goes down to he goes down to Egypt, and he talks to his wife, and he says, "Look, when we get to Egypt, you know, you're a beautiful woman." And she's like, "Oh, thank you, that's amazing." Um, <laughs> and he says, "And everyone's going to want to kill me so that they can be with you." And she's like, "Oh, uh, I must be beautiful." And then he says, "So lie and tell them that you're you're my sister, so that they can take you and they can have you without myself, and I can stay alive." And she's like, "Wow, what kind of a loser did I marry? Who's not even prepared to stand up for me in any way, shape, or form?" Wow, you know. And you've got Abraham who laughs in the face of God. You've got Abraham. You know, so many times Abraham messes up in his life. You've got you know Isaac and Jacob, and it could be. Remember how badly these guys messed up? And if mm. you can forgive them, then you can forgive these people as well. Mm. And remember, and look at how badly we've messed up right now. If you can forgive Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and if you can forgive the Israelites, you can forgive me today. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. 
that's where all, that's where all the good Australians come from. Tasmania. Don't even, don't even talk about Tasmania. Tasmania. You were born in Newcastle. Definitely in Tasmania. Now that I know that, I would just... Well, I already knew that, but now that you reminded me of that, I'm just going to hold it over you. Just, just anytime you talk about how good Tasmania is, I'm just going to be like, remember your roots. Anyway, <laughs> moving on with our discussion here, I've just been triggered. Triggered? Majorly triggered. Yeah, well, <laughs> Christopher's Christopher sent this uh, texture. I think Lyle should post to Facebook a photo of his breakfast. You know what triggers me more than anything else? What? People posting photos of their food. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Totally. So we did talk about earlier how that I'm about the most least private person on the planet. Uh-huh. And I kind of don't care what you know about my life and <laughs> how I only ever use... Facebook these days as a wheelbarrow because why would anybody want to know? And I think that's where this text is coming from. Like, yeah, let's post something super lame like yeah. your breakfast. <laughs> My rices and Uncle Toby's this morning with oat milk from – highly processed oat milk from Aldi. Mm, yum. Mm. Yep. That was – oh, and Sultanas. Dude, oh, I had an amazing breakfast this morning. Yes. Ate nothing. That's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Anyway, so, um, yeah, that does trigger me because, like, the, the lamest thing is people who post photos of their food, which they think looks is amazing, but it just looks like slop on a plate. Especially when it's half eaten. <laughs> when it's half gross. eaten, people, people <laughs> post that. Like, we don't want to see your half eaten plate of food. Please. It's so unnecessary. Let me show you a photo, photo of my empty breakfast bowl. <laughs> mm, wow. Anyway, let's go over to our Bible study. Enough with that. And we're going to go to Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24. Exodus 2 and oh, verse 24. Yeah, that's my favorite part of Deuteronomy. And we're going to look at how these covenant promises work. Mm. Exodus 2 verse 24, please, Lawson. Exodus 2 and verse 24, the Bible says this, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so this is, of course, is referring to the Israelites and referring to their slavery. Mm. So God hasn't forgotten. All right, let's go to Exodus 6 and verse 8. In Exodus 6 and verse 8, where the Bible says here, as I find it on the page, I will bring you into the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. And now we go to Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 44, 42. Leviticus 26 and verse 42. Let's see what this one has to say. Leviticus 26 and verse 42, as I find it here on the page. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. Okay, so let's think about this covenant then for a moment, because in all three of these verses, God has said, look, I'm doing this because of the covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. He's not saying it. I did this because of the covenant that I made with you. Wow. He's not saying I did it because of your righteousness. He's not saying I did it because you are super holy people who never ever commit sin. Mm. None of this covenant is based on their good deeds. So the Exodus from Egypt, which is the great symbol of God's saving grace, uh, that's based on the covenant that the Lord had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. So even before the beneficiaries of the covenant were born, the promises were made on their behalf. So there was no merit 
of theirs that could ever possibly be a part of those that covenant. Mm. And it's exactly the same with the everlasting covenant. The promise of our salvation was made, was sealed 2,000 years ago. Yes. Jesus didn't die on Calvary because, you know, he saw Lyle or he saw Lawson and he's like, uh, these are really righteous people. I'm going to save them. <laughs> That's not why Jesus died on Calvary. Jesus died on Calvary because he saw Lyle and he saw Lawson and he's like, these people are sinners. I need to save them. Wow. Mm. There's a big difference between these two things. Which really shows like like Jesus's and God's motivation can only be like purely love because we pose no like practical benefit to them. Like we we do not help them in any way. In fact, like we cause the death of the Son of God. That's right. For, like absolutely for no return on investment other than the relationship that He can have with us. Exactly, and that relationship that He can have with us is enough to make that death worthwhile. Yeah. Wow. That kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? Mm. Because you sort of think about, you know, we're just ants in the universe. And also, it's like, man, like if you've got an ant nest in your backyard and it's annoying you, what do you do? You go and pour petrol on it and set it on fire. <laughs> You know, that's what human beings kind of do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, or you know, spray it with water or something. <laughs> but, but definitely, it's like to go somewhere else. But even even that, it's like, man, does God really want to be friends with me? Like, I, I don't know. I just think about like my life, and I think we can all point to times where friendships have soured, relationships have soured, and it's like it really reveals to you, like, oh man, I am not a good person. Like I fall short socially and 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 self sacrificially. Like I am and spiritually and spiritually. Like I am like I am not a very good friend. Like yeah, sure. Like we you know we can get we can have wins in our lives. We can you know and I have friends now that I, that I'm close with. But it's like man, does God like the perfect friend want to be friends with me? Like, and this is why this is why the story of the Exodus doesn't end with God saying, yeah, I made this covenant, so I'm going to keep this promise. Mm. And uh, we see that God keeps his promise to this people, uh, which is based around no merit of the people, mm. no merit of their own, none whatsoever. Mm. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just come along and say, yeah, I'm going to keep my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and take you into this promised land. No, he takes them out of Egypt and where does he take them to next? Before the promised land. The wilderness. And in the wilderness there's a mountain. Yes. And on the mountain, what is he going to do? Give them the law. Give them the law. Reestablish his covenant. <clears throat> Teach them how to be followers of him. Totally. And so this is the key right here. God doesn't, God doesn't just come along and say, you know, if, uh, if, if you confess my name, that's it. You're done. You're saved. And you're going to heaven. No, God says, no. I, God says I want to convert you. I want to change you. Mm. God is all about conversion. He's all about the new life experience. And so they go to Mount Sinai, which is all about the new life experience, and God explains to them his law of love. Now that you have been saved, this is how you can respond to that salvation. Now that I've brought you out of captivity, now that I've brought you out of Egypt, this is how you can respond to that salvation. You can respond to that salvation by lovingly, Obeying what I have done mm. in obeying the law of love. 
You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Question of the day. All right. I am asking you a question that I know literally nothing about. Okay. And that question is, who was Nergal Sariza? Okay, Nergal Sariza, uh, otherwise known as Nerglissa or Nergal Sariasa. Uh-huh. Those are the various names that we know him to history by and probably a few others as well. But you will find him mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 39 and verse 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. The Bible says in the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, the ninth day of the month, the city was broken up. And all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate, even Nergal Shereza, uh, Samgar Nebo, Saz Ekim, Rab Saris, Nergal Shareza, uh, Rab Mag, and all the residue of the princes of the king of Babylon. So if you've got somebody who has English for a second language and if you want to have a fun joke with them, get them to read that Bible verse. <laughs> <laughs> during small group Bible study. Uh, because i got to tell you, I was struggling with that one myself. They will probably read it easier than what you will. Uh, but anyway, you will notice there the Bible mentions somebody the name of Nergal Sariza. Now, Nergal Sariza, um, he's obviously a Babylonian official. The Bible describes him here as one of the princes. Uh, he cooperated with Nebuzaradan. These were the two uh, who were left in charge of the affairs of Judah after the conquest of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And this is the only place in the Bible that his name actually appears. It appears a whole bunch of times in cuneiform text. And the reason it appears in cuneiform text is because of how he became a prince. He was not a son of Nebuchadnezzar. He married one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters. Mm -hmm. And uh, we more commonly know him as Neraglissa. What happened was that when Nebuchadnezzar died, now Nebuchadnezzar, you'll understand, uh, from history, he had a conversion experience about two years before he passed away. Mm. Um, so he was insane for about seven years. He was restored to his throne. His, um, his, his entire kingdom was restored to him, and he became a servant of Yahweh. We have his personal testimony written in the Bible as to how he made that decision. He prophesied the end, of the, 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 the end and the destruction of the Babylonian Empire. And, of course, he prophesied that, that based on the prophecies that Yahweh, God, had given to him. Now, and we need to remember that those prophecies were given to him, Nebuchadnezzar. Sometimes we think that they were given to Daniel. No, that prophecy was given to Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel was just involved in interpreting it, but it was Nebuchadnezzar's prophecy. It was God who spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. So he had a son by the name of Amal Marduk, and when Amal Marduk came to power, we don't know a lot about Amal Marduk, but one of the things that we do know was that he was very favorable towards the Jewish people. Um, he had a number of Jewish kings that he held in captivity. He set them free um, out of captivity. He um, got in a major dispute with the priests, the religious leaders of Babylon. We don't know what over, but history indicates that it may have been the fact that he'd learned some lessons from his father and learned to become a follower of Yahweh himself. Mm. We don't know, but wouldn't it be amazing if when we get to heaven we found not only Nebuchadnezzar there, but Amal Marduk as well. But we do know this. 
He was assassinated by the priests of Babylon for his heresy in not following the Babylonian gods. Mm. And so then the next person to come to power was this person here who's mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 39 and verse 3, uh, Nergal Sereza or Neraglissa as we know him. Uh, he was the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. He is married to Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Uh, he comes to power. He reigns for a period of six years, dies of old age, and he has a young child by the name of Labashi Marduk who then rules for somewhere between three to nine months before he's assassinated because you know he was one of these terrible teenagers that nobody wanted to have ruling the kingdom and was your typical royal, royal spoilt brat. And, of course, then Nabonidus comes to power. He was an Assyrian. Nobody liked him, but they did like his son Belshazzar. And so Belshazzar ruled from Babylon while Nabonidus goes out into the desert to meditate and to do spiritual exercises. So there's a short history of Neraglissa or Nergal Sereza and where he fits into history. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.